This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome, everyone, to the Damage Report on a Monday. I am Francesca Fiorentini in for John Idarola, who is doing full time dad duty this Monday. Um, so, shout out to all the dads out there and to uh, the guy who used to run this show, I guess. Uh, but anyway, I'm here and it is a fantastic Monday because I'm here and I'm not doing the show alone. With me is Ravana, my favorite co host. Oh, yes, I said that. Hopefully, the others aren't watching. Shh. <laughs> Well, I'm very excited to be back on with you. I was literally thinking that it's been too long since we did a show together. And it's always wonderful when we do a show together. Um, and you know, I'm still, you know, I'll apologize to the audience. I'm still recovering a little bit from all of the January 6th parties I was attending. Hell yeah. Weekend. I had to, you know, go to every abortion clinic within a five mile radius to just get as many punches on my punch card as possible, taking my electric vehicle in between the abortion clinics, saving the world. Your, <laughs> one your cyber truck. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, we are going to get into January 6th stuff. Um, someone was celebrating, I guess, and or just quietly. It's like the quietest Christmas ever. Like, we were all there, but we're still out of jail. In fact, a lot of them are out of jail. And we're going to get uh, into exactly how much justice has actually been brought on the Jan 6 rioters, insurrectionists, attempted coolists. Um, there's also, of course, you know, what, a week? A little bit more than a week left to go before the Iowa caucuses. Exactly a week. In fact, Monday, I believe, is when they're happening. So we're going to get some updates. Trump has a lot of thoughts and we don't want to hear any of them, but we have to because he is the front runner. Um, and then, of course, um, the government narrowly avoiding a shutdown. There's not a lot of fun stuff in this roundup, but we, Ray and I, will try and lighten it. It'll be fun. There's, I'm like, I'm like, there's no mass shootings. Right. Ah, anyone? No? Okay. But if you're watching, you guys know what to do. Like and share the stream right now. Send us your super chats and comments, which ostensibly I'll be reading if I ever get the document open throughout the show. Um, but with all that, Ray, are you ready to get this Monday started? Oh, I am so ready to get this Monday started with you. Okay, cool. Is it a high John six or seven producers? Are we on seven? Are we six still? <laughs> You guys tell me, uh, okay, six. All right, all right. We're still, we'll st we're still doing number six. All right, guys. Just a little behind the scenes. See, that's when you get when you're with Franny Fio. A little behind the scenes action, you know, from someone who doesn't really know how to do their job. Uh, no, with that, uh, a lot of Jan Six news again in this third anniversary. Let's get to this. You know what they ought to do? They ought to release the J Six hostages. They've suffered enough. They ought to release them. I call them hostages. Some people call them prisoners. I call them hostages. Release the J6 hostages, Joe. Release them, Joe. You can do it real easy, Joe. 
So there was Trump uh, floating the new line coming out of the GOP when it comes to the folks who participated in an insurrection at the behest of Donald Trump himself, Rudy Giuliani, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Many leading Republicans around the country. Hostages. No, they're not tourists anymore. They're not Antifa. They're not political prisoners. No, that's for, you know, black and brown people. Uh, hostages. Hmm, hold that thought. Wonder where we've heard hostages before. He's actually not the only Republican who's floating this hostages line, reflecting on this third anniversary of January 6th. Um, here is Elise Stefanik on Meet the Press. Do you still think it was a tragic day? Do you think? that the people who stormed the Capitol should be held responsible to the full extent of the I law. I have concerns about the treatment of January 6 hostages. Uh, I have concerns. We have a role in Congress of oversight over our treatments of prisoners. Uh, and I believe that we're seeing the weaponization of the federal government against not just President Trump, but we're seeing it against conservatives, we're seeing it against Catholics. Catholics? Okay, I love when people just throw in like, Right wingers just uh, the rule of threes, Catholics, sure, why not? But Ray, I want to get your take before we move on to the actual facts about how Jan Sixers and people who participate in the riot are being treated by the justice system. But to zero in on this word hostages, because right. you and I have been covering a lot of what's been going on in the Middle East, the war on Gaza, the assault on Gaza. The word hostages kind of feels like a little bit of stolen valor from actual hostages in Gaza who were being held by Hamas still ostensibly there's a you know attempt to rescue them but what do you make of this new word um well first i i can't get over the claim that catholics are being persecuted <laughs> in this country that took me aback and i'd seen that clip before but i guess it just missed me the first time Catholics? Where? <laughs> I'd like to see some evidence of that. That's actually so funny. But when it comes to, yeah, you're right, the term hostages, he's borrowing from what he's seen as a very successful um, campaign of public pressure that's worked in relation to Israel. Because of course, there's you know Israeli hostages being held by Hamas. There's also, and what I think you know is interesting and upsetting here is there are people being held in prisons as hostages. There are Palestinian men, women, and children who are being held in Israeli jails, not pending charges, not awaiting a trial, not awaiting sentencing. They're just being administratively detained in mm -hmm. that country. And it's horrendous. And the correct term for them is not prisoner, it's hostage. So we're not, they're not asking for prisoner exchanges when they're doing these negotiations. They're hostage swaps is what's going on there. So to see them misappropriate that, that term and try to apply it to people who, most of them on video and a lot of them openly admitting it on all of their social media, in engaged in a violent insurrection, people died. Like January 6th is sort of, I think we're at the point where we can joke a little bit about it, but people died that day. It was violent. They were chanting, kill, hang Mike Pence. They were chanting to kill Nancy Pelosi. There were calls for AOC's death. These politicians, these Democratic politicians, particularly in the lead up to January 6th, saw a rise in violent threats coming into their offices. And some of the people who were sending those violent threats were the people who were there right. on January 6th breaching the Capitol. So the idea that the people who are being detained and 
you know, we'll talk about this in a second. It's a small portion of the people who were there that day. <laughs> the people yeah. who have been not sorry de detained, but who have been charged, who are serving out sentences. The idea that they are hostages is it's exactly just Donald Trump trying to tap into the language that is actually evoking emotion in people in a situation where it actually applies and trying uh -huh. to misapply it here. For sure, and we're gonna get into new footage from Jan 6. And like you said, The Intercept did a deep dive as to the justice that these folks are facing or not facing. But I just wanna quickly before we move on from the word hostages, if this were a Democrat using the word hostage, Elise Stefanik would drag her own self in front of her anti-Semitism hearing and chide herself. And then she would be fired. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a woman who successfully took down two university presidents over so-called claims of anti-Semitism. Now she's calling Jan Sixers hostages. Don't get me started on the Israeli lobby and APAC actually supporting some of these insurrectionist candidates, people who don't believe the 2020 election. Again, it's right wing money people, they can do it, they can be anti-Semitic. But the left gets called anti-Semitic. Let's move on. What about J6ers? Are January 6 rioters who had been arrested and charged, are they actually facing justice? Mind you, only just over a thousand people have actually been charged in the Jan 6 insurrection, riot, whatever you want to call it. How many thousands were there? Like y'all seen the numbers, you saw, you seen the, the the photos, I mean. But let's look at it because The Intercept did a deep dive. Um, and the title of it is not political prisoners, not hostages. In fact, federal judges have shown leniency in nearly all Jan 6 cases. They have uh, a very handy graphic, but they basically show that, um, and we'll talk about depending on which judges were appointed, how lenient they were. And it's not judges you would assume would be more lenient, but in 82% of the 719 Jan 6 related convictions, again, con only 719, 719 convicted. Again, remember I said, I think it's something, well, we can double check this a bit over a thousand, maybe 1400 charges, 719 convictions in 82% of those federal judges have issued lighter sentences than prosecutors originally sought. Defendants in 429 out of the 719 cases have been sentenced to standard prison terms. And in 173 cases, Donald Trump appointees gave lighter sentences than government requested in 156 or 90%. Okay, so Donald Trump appointees as justices, we assume would obviously be a lot softer on some of these defendants. Um, but let's look at the actual judges. They, they did this sort of matchup in terms of who's handing down these lighter sentences. Um, Democratic appointees handled more cases than Republicans and judges chosen by Barack Obama heard nearly half the cases. Um, thanks Obama, no literally, thank you Obama. Um, and so you see that Obama appointed justices handed 333, Trump appointed justices 173, but actually Biden and Bush appointees were the most lenient in what they handed down in terms of the sentences. Just judges appointed by President Joe Biden and former President George W. Bush gave lesser sentences than prosecutors sought in 92% of the cases. So a lot of these cases, there was no prison time actually handed down. There was community service or whatnot. I mean, can they clean up some broken glass around the Capitol? Do they have to repaint the Capitol? Um, are they allowed to even get within, you know, a, a spit distance of the Capitol? Hopefully not. But all to say, the narrative that they are being treated better 
than average prisoners is utter BS. And in fact, again, in all of these instances, and surprisingly, Biden judges are being a lot more white glove with this whole thing, which kind of for me stems from you know, what Merrick Garland initially when he came into office was also talking about, which is, gee, I don't want to go too hard on these anti-democratic rioters because maybe they'll think I'm being anti-democratic. I mean, it's just wild. But Ray, I mean, the number of actual convictions is so minimal. And you yeah. gotta, you, we cannot lose sight of the fact that were these folks anyone else at the behest of any other political cause, how many would not only be charged and convicted, but dead? Right. Exactly, and um, it shouldn't really come as a surprise to anybody, the leniency in the sentencing in these cases. When we look at the demographics of who's being charged in these cases, and I don't just mean their race, but I mean their class as well. Because there was a narrative initially pushed in an attempt to rewrite the history of January 6th about who was there that day. And that was that this was the people coming together in an uprising, right? This was a revolution is even the language that's used by some of the people who were at January 6th. And and they'll try to complain that people on the left, people who are socialists like myself support the idea of a, you know, a working class uprising. But that's not what this was. This was upper middle class. These were small business owners. These were doctors, these were lawyers, businessmen. Most of them represent that class group. Yes. And so the judges feel a lot more sympathy towards them than they do a poor black person who is going to be put away behind bars for a long time for you know a drug crime or something. These people get sympathy from judges. Because they look like them and because they come from the same sort of financial background as them. And not to mention the fact that they're able to afford private defense attorneys. They don't have to go with the public defenders in most of these cases, so they get better representation. Not to say the public defenders aren't excellent attorneys, they are. They're just overworked and underpaid and don't have the resources to devote to all of their cases that a private defense attorney does have. So yes. that's why we're seeing these, you know, the leniency in these sentencing is, and we'll see them make their their pleas for leniency in public too. I'm thinking of this one woman who has done many TV interviews in front of all of her children talking about how she has to go to jail for a certain amount of months. And she always sort of buries the lead that she broke a window and encourage people to enter through the window before she also breached the Capitol through that window. So um, so be the, they're able to use that to say, well, look at my upper middle class white family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just a I'm a mother. I'm a you know, I'm a small business owner. I have people that I'm gonna be leaving behind if you put me in jail. And judges take pity on that, and they shouldn't, and juries take pity on that. And it's it's unfair that they these people get that sympathy. Well, you know, poorer or People of color in courts don't receive that same leniency. 100%. Also, let us remember the cop city protesters in Atlanta who are currently facing RICO charges for doing things like handing out flyers. That's right. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. We got the, the glass broken. These are all your pages. I can't see who's in there. Oh, look, the socialist. Are you getting paid by China? You're all getting paid by China. Come on, you guys, man. You guys are not going to lose a paycheck if we come in the building, man. And nobody's going to get hurt. But you can only kill so many of us. I drove 14 hours to get here and stood in the cold for three and a half hours to find out that Mike Pence is a traitor, man. Come on, man. Just let me coo. I've been here for so long. I was promised a coo. Let me do the coo. I'll just coo a little, then I'll go home. Come on, man. What am I going to tell my kids? I'm sorry. I know I shouldn't do that accent, but he had an accent like that, so I will do it. Um, That was new footage again by rioter Damon Beckley. You heard, uh, you heard a number of things in that. Um, are you being paid by China? Look, a socialist. You, we will promise. Just let us in, and you know we're not. You're not going to get hurt. But also, you can't kill us all dead. Um, there is more footage uh, where they talk about everyone inside is pedophiles. On and on and on. Um, but. Ray, what are your thoughts seeing this new footage and actually kind of hearing from some of the rioters at their at this as they're at the sort of you know pinnacle moment where they where they think they're going to break through and they're trying to plead with those inside? Right. Well, first I want to say to him, he says he waited three hours outside in the cold for this. Three hours? Women are waiting outside of Target for longer than that to get Stanley tumblers <laughs> on TikTok. Okay, we're only three hours. That's not very long. Um, but I think that this new footage really has shown one how violent it is. Not that clip per se, but I mean, you see them standing in front of those uh, uh, armed agents guns to their faces and these people are not afraid. We saw that new footage of Ashley Babbitt. That woman had no fear as she was climbing through that window. And I think it really put a new perspective on uh, on her death that day. But yeah, the to be in that scenario for them and to be, you know, you can really see sort of, and I, I like that Nina Turner always says, try not to get into the mind of a crazy person unless you get stuck there. <laughs> but it does sort of give us a, a picture of how, much in a cult these people are, that they are willing to lay their lives down and they know that they might die. <laughs> they see these guns in front of them, they don't care. And it's all in service of Donald Trump, a man who could not give a singular crap about the lives of these people. And you see that it's also coupled by their pleas now that they're some of them are being sentenced, they've been charged, they've been found guilty. The pleas that they've made in the media to the MAGA movement and seeing that they don't have support from them. They're being yeah. called by, by the man who inspired this and directly told these people essentially to take this action, that they're actually Antifa or that yep. they were the deep state working you know, to undermine MAGA. And these people were literally willing to lay their lives down on the line or in the case of Ashley Babbitt actually did sacrifice their life 
again, for a man who just couldn't give a damn about them. That's and right. it's pathetic. It Watching this, seeing this new footage, what it leaves me feeling is that these people are utterly pathetic and brainwashed. But yeah. it doesn't necessarily make me feel sympathetic to them. I mean, I think that's really important to remember. We need to let Ashley Babbitt's death is on the hands of Donald Trump. That's right. who compelled her to go there and who emboldened her to think that she could somehow get away with breaking into the Capitol building and not face any repercussions, specifically lethal repercussions. Um, but there's just a little bit more we have to get to before we break because there's more information about the guy who, yeah, has blood on his hands from this day and God, so many other days in this country. And that's Donald Trump and what he was doing. And thanks to his former Deputy Chief of Staff, Dan Scavino, we have more information. Um, details have come now uh, after an ABC News report about Trump's inaction. So sources close to Scavino said, or sources said, excuse me, Scavino told Smith's investigators that his violence began to escalate that day. Trump was, quote, just not interested in doing more to stop it. Sources also said former Trump aide Nick Luna told federal investigators that when Trump was informed that then Vice President Mike Pence had to be rushed to a secure location, Trump responded, so what? Classic, classic nine-year-old response. According to sources, when speaking with Smith's team, Scavino recalled telling Trump in a phone call the night of Jan 6, this is your legacy here and there's smoke coming out of the Capitol. At times, Trump just sat silently at the head of the table with his arms folded and his eyes locked on the TV, Scavino recounted. Again, like a child, I don't care, let it burn. Uh, after unsuccessfully tying up uh, trying for up to 20 minutes to persuade Trump to release some sort of calming statement. Scavino and others walked out of the dining room, leaving Trump alone, sources said. That's when, according to sources, Trump posted a message on Twitter account on his Twitter saying that Pence, quote, didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. In other words, <laughs> fan those flames, baby. Let's keep it going. And as you heard there in that new footage, folks are like, I voted for Mike Pence to find out he's a traitor. Um, any final thoughts here, Ray? Just that this is the man that the Republican and people always talk about, we, and Joe Biden specifically, Democrats like Joe Biden always say, we need a reasonable Republican Party. We need to get back to the Republican Party of old. But this man is who the Republican Party let be in charge of them. Not that they were ever a reasonable party, in my opinion, but this is who they let be in charge of them. He is the leader of their party. He's the entire party at this point. He, They let him decide their policy agendas on a whim. Whatever he tweets, they decided was gonna be their policy moving forward. They put him in control. This is the whole party now. They yep. all have, and, and there are Republicans right now pretending that they oppose him. But if he wins this election in 2024, they will be falling in line behind him and be the biggest sycophants possible. So like, I'm just sick of this narrative, like this petulant child is the party. That is the Republican Party at this point. And anyone telling anybody different is just, it's wrong, it's incorrect. Okay, but counterpoint, Ray, tax breaks, you know, just like, <laughs> Tax break, is that worth it? Yeah, right. throw away democracy, tax breaks. You and I won't get them, but you know, right. the you know, those who can write off their private jets will. And uh, they're saying, oh, 
Trump owns the Supreme Court. He owns it. He owns it. If they make a decision for him, it will be terrible. It'll ruin their reputations. He owns the Supreme Court. He put on three judges. He owns the Supreme Court. If they rule in his favor, it will be horrible for them. And we'll protest at their houses and we'll do all of the things that you see. And that puts pressure on people to do the wrong thing. What they're doing is no different than Bobby Knight. They're playing the ref. I watched that. I said, man, they're really good. They're really good at it. And I just hope we get fair treatment uh, because if we don't, our country's in big, big trouble. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? I think so. Because they'll cover that completely differently. They'll cover that in a much different manner. But I'm just saying it's a very unfair situation. It's very unfair. You see, when I stack the court, that is fair. But when you call me out on stacking the court, that is unfair. And we need to do another insurrection. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? When someone points it out who isn't me, that's when it's unfair. So that is Donald Trump, obviously, still very mad at Colorado and Maine for taking his name off the ballot, you know, for inciting a coup and insurrection and giving a lot of comfort to insurrectionists in this country. Um, Here he is telling a crowd in Iowa as we are on the precipice of the caucuses or the the main caucus that matters um, that just don't pay attention to how they're going to cover it. But if they rule against me, big, big trouble. But if they rule for me, it is fair. Okay, everyone got that sort of logical dissonance in their brains? You guys all believe in lizard people? Okay, cool. Um, So, This also comes as Donald Trump, it's sort of significant, but we'll talk about it. He didn't sign this Illinois pledge to not overthrow the government, which when you put it like that, sounds bad. So Illinois has this loyalty oath that every election cycle, they ask candidates basically, hey, don't overthrow the government. It it comes from the Joseph McCarthy era. Illinois lawmakers have preserved it. and it's it's just kind of a like, hey, don't do this thing, even though you've definitely done it. In fact, Nikki Haley and Chris Christie haven't also signed that loyalty pledge, but it, it hits a little different when it's Donald Trump who does has a does have a track record. And in fact, in 2016 and 2020, he did sign this Illinois uh, loyalty pledge. Um, but back to Iowa, uh, this is uh, let's let's go back to Iowa because obviously DeSantis somehow no longer a factor. Nikki Haley, however. Still a bit of a factor, still a pretty big factor. And Trump is going very hard in the paint against who he sees as his most formidable foe. Take a look. Nikki Haley has been in the pocket of the open borders establishment donors her entire career. And she's a globalist, you know, she likes the globe. I like America first. She likes the globe. She probably thinks it's round. So I love when you hear Trump sort of like riff and use his own words versus reading the teleprompter where Stephen Miller has clearly just written his like, you know, 2024 redux of Mein Kampf for him. Like that's, he's like, she's a globalist. She likes the globe. I like, anyway, that's, those are my own personal thoughts on that. But eight days out from this caucus, obviously Nikki Haley's chomping at the bit here is second polling second in the state. I, I, Believe, yeah, 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 all right, it's polling second. Um, and Trump has also released a new attack ad against Haley, which is another piece of evidence that eh, they're kind of scared of her. Take a look. 
Drug traffickers, rapists, poisoning our country. But Nikki Haley refused to call illegals criminals. We don't need to talk about them as criminals. They're not. Illegals are criminals, Nikki. That's what illegal means. Haley even opposed Trump's wall, and Haley repeatedly pushed amnesty for illegals. We don't need to talk about them as criminals. They're not. Nikki Haley, too weak, too liberal to fix the border. Yeah, that really makes me hate Nikki Haley, right? <laughs> That's just, just, I mean, obviously, he needs to bite off the same apple that is now just rotten down to the core, which is this anti immigrant, xenophobic language. Um, but there he is pushing this ad all throughout Iowa again, uh, looking forward to the caucus. Um, and uh, Haley spokesperson uh, Nachama Slovechik defended the campaign uh, from that ad, saying to the New York Times, if Trump feels so strongly about his false attacks, he should stop hiding and defend them on the debate stage in Des Moines, she said. Trump probably doesn't remember that Nikki passed one of the toughest anti-illegal immigration laws in the country in 2011 because he was still a New York City liberal. <laughs> oh man, I do agree. Just show up to a debate, bro. Just debate. Right. You'll probably crush it. Like you're yeah. crushing it in the polls. But anyway, um, thoughts on, uh, oh my God, I can't believe we're only a week out. Why is our electorals, like, why is the primary system like longer, honestly, than any like New Year's resolution I could probably keep? Like longer right. than a diet. It is insane the way that we run our primaries in this country. I will say that I think that Nikki Haley's race played no small part in trying to paint her as too soft on immigration. That being said, you know, I'm no fan of Nikki Haley, but I do think that she poses a threat to Donald Trump, which is that she pulls better than him. In a head to head with Joe Biden, she mm-hmm. she clears Joe Biden. It should scare everybody. But so in the event that Donald Trump is found guilty and it would be a good day for this country. And Nikki Haley gets to step up to the plate and run for president, that would embarrass him. So, you know, yes. he's gotta he's gotta attack her, but he's also gotta attack her, right? Because she is polling so well. She's been able to use her, you know, I guess prowess as a politician and having a, a, a long career in politics to outmaneuver people like Ron DeSantis, who you know has a history as a politician, but he was able to become the governor because of a sex drug scandal of his opponent and because of Donald Trump. Yep. <laughs> and he has not been able to meet the moment when he was sort of uh, you know, deemed the next one. He was supposed to be the next guy and he could scarier than pressure. Trump. Right. <laughs> Ooh, no, man. I said it from the beginning. Everyone knows I was never scared of DeSantis. You just have to watch him speak publicly once and be like, oh, this fool right. is like completely ridiculous. Nobody takes him seriously. And he's running against Donald Trump, like the man that literally nobody takes seriously. DeSantis can't even beat that. So, it, yeah, Nikki Haley, I got no love for Nikki Haley. Um, but it's all going to be very fun and all very uh, water under the bridge, as they say, once she becomes Trump's running mate. Because I feel like that's probably what's going to happen. Although I did have a prediction for the top 10 list folks who are uh, tier two members on this channel. You got to become a member to actually see what I said about Nikki Haley. But there's more. Um, 
Over the weekend, uh, Donald Trump went on many a long rant as he campaigned in Iowa ahead of the caucus. Um, but this one was mm, special, special in that it had that uh, je ne sais Nazi quality to it, uh, a very um, Confederate-like quality. Here are Trump's thoughts on the Civil War. I don't know what it is. The Civil War was so fascinating, so horrible, it was so horrible, but so fascinating, it was uh, I don't know, it's just different. I just find it, I'm so attracted to seeing it. So many mistakes were made. See, there was something I think could have been negotiated, to be honest with you. I think you could have negotiated that. Abraham Lincoln, of course, if you negotiated it, you probably wouldn't even know who Abraham Lincoln was. Uh, he would have been president, but he would have been president. He would have been, he wouldn't have been the Abraham Lincoln, would have been different, but that would have been okay. Okay. Okay, what are you actually saying, sir? Like, what do you, what do you act like? How do you think the Civil War went down? Number one, and what are you saying? It would have been okay if he had negotiated. What I'm hearing, maybe everyone else can pick up the slack. I'm hearing is, uh, hey, maybe don't free the slaves. Hey, maybe like don't get the South to surrender because, mind you, the South, the Confederates wanted to just have agree an agreement, a truce. And and Lincoln's folks were like, no, see, that's not the way war works. You surrender because you lost, okay? Then we free the slaves. Everyone good with that? And they were like, fine, I guess. Is that what happens? Should we keep fighting? No? Okay. That's my version of the of history. And I think that's what happened. But this is Trump saying he's a Ray, he's attracted to it. Mm. Um He's checked to do it. Before I get to you, though, Liz Cheney's just sliding in right before you. I apologize. That's very rude. I never uh, got way more love for Ray than Liz Cheney. <laughs> but Liz Cheney writes, which part of the Civil War could have, quote, been negotiated? The slavery part? The secession part? Whether Lincoln should have preserved the Union? Question for members of the GOP. The party of Lincoln, ugh, who have endorsed Donald Trump, how can you possibly defend this? Um, I agree with most of that except for the party of Lincoln. Girl, we know you guys flip sides, you know? Specifically because of institutionalized racism in this country. Come on now. Come on. Stop saying you're the party of Lincoln. But, but Ray, the, these, he's a Confederate. Like, I don't know what else, what other proof do we need? Right. No, I mean, that's an insane thing to say. And I think at the core of what he was saying was if I was president, then I would have I would have been smarter than Lincoln somehow is what he's trying to insinuate, and I would have been able to do it without fighting. But also there would there would still be slavery if Donald Trump was president at the time. There would slavery would have endured for some amount of time. <laughs> yes, which is like a weird thing to brag about, but it's exactly like Nikki Haley refusing to say that the Civil War was about slavery, which like to Donald Trump's credit, he did admit, but more as an attack on Nikki Haley than anything else. Um, but her refusal to say that was to pander to her base, which is the same reason why he's saying like, you know, we could have negotiated it. He's pandering to his racist, you know, Southern base, the base of uh, insurrectionists. And mm -hmm. Donald Trump loves insurrection. And what was the South, <laughs> if not, you know, a, a treasonous insurrection at the time of the Civil War?
Absolutely. And it is the legacy of, I think, the unhealed wounds of that civil war that we are still dealing with today. And I don't mean unhealed wounds like uh, we should have, you know, been kinder to the Confederates. No, it was that they actually were not punished enough. There was far too much backpedaling. The the abandonment of the Reconstruction after the Civil War uh, that has led that led to things like Jim Crow, that led to things like lack of voting rights, and of course, massive racial discrepancies and institutionalized racism we see today. A million reasons why what you saw on January 6, 2021 is 100% the legacy of the Civil War and the Confederates. And the fact that there is literally a constitutional amendment written to prevent against folks who incited insurrections like that from holding office. It's all you need to know, people. It's good, good on Maine, good on Colorado, and we will see. All right, welcome back to the damage report from Jessica Fiorentini, Ray Vanna. Let's take you through this. There's a lot more. Everyone's talking about democracy this, democracy that. Do we need it? Three years after Jan 6, yeah, we need it. It's important, but not every Republican agrees. Take a look at this. Would you vote to certify and will you vote to certify the results of the 2024 election, no matter what they show? Well, I voted not to certify the state of Pennsylvania because as we saw in Pennsylvania and other states across the country, that there was unconstitutional acts circumventing the state legislature and unilaterally changing election law. What about 2024? What about 2024? We will see. What about what you just said right there, that you have no evidence to back up? That's Elise Stefanik, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik, number three in the Republican House saying that no, she's not going to commit to certifying the results of 2024. Um, she was asked again, clearly, as you heard uh, Kristen Welker trying to be like, uh, what about the future? We know you did it in the past, but will you do it again? Here's what she said. But just to be very clear, I don't hear you committed to certifying the election results. Will you only commit to certify the results? If, if they're president constitutional, wins, if they, does that mean the former president Trump No, it wins? means if they are constitutional. What we saw in 2020 was unconstitutional circumventing of the of the Constitution, not going through state legislatures when it comes to changing election law. And we're seeing this in my home state of New York, Kristen. We are seeing Democrats try to steal the election and illegally gerrymander congressional districts that we fairly won and are fair aligned. So I see this at a very local level, as well as the unconstitutional overreach we saw at the national level I, in 2020. So no, in other words, no, blah, 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 no, I will not. As Bernie said at the time, uh, heads I win, tails you lose. Uh, That is how Republicans are gonna roll from now on. Um, Let's just roll it back and remember, Trump and his allies lost many, many court cases claiming that the election in 2020 was stolen. 50, in fact, if you're counting, Forbes is counting, 50 post-election lawsuits. And so many lawyers who haven't been paid. I mean, think of the lawyers that haven't been paid. Um, again, in Arizona, Trump's faithful laggy Giuliani admitted, yeah, there was no fraud. Nah, you know, I thought there was fraud, but there was not. Um, had to admit that. I'm not sure if that was before or after he, you know, farted on Jenna Ellis. Kind of my favorite (laughs) moment of 2021. Um, And then recently, Trump's voter data expert that he that he hired also admitted that 2020 was not stolen. It doesn't matter the fact. Like like Ray, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. They feel it was stolen. And that's all that matters. Is just 
I feel like it was cheating because my guy didn't win. Right, and it's like really rich, at least Stefanik's use of the term unconstitutional repeatedly in the in that interview there, because what she's saying is unconstitutional is overturning illegal gerrymandering, which was deemed unconstitutional <laughs> itself. Right, so she's claiming that the unconstitutional gerrymandering. Overturning that is unconstitutional. Now I've said unconstitutional too many times. I will say that I think that she's good evidence that the Republican Party and Donald Trump are existential threats to democracy in this country. That threat is real, but it is so unsettling and so disheartening that the person who we have to turn to to save democracy is Joe Biden, the most lackluster candidate the Democrats could possibly be running when we are in such a critical moment in, in history for this country. You know, we literally have a party that says we will just steal the election. They did it with George W. Bush to the Supreme Court. Now they they are gonna do it through you know, shadier means because the courts aren't siding with them this time. And the only guy apparently the Democratic Party can imagine spearheading <laughs> their party is Joseph Robinette Biden. Robinette. I mean, come on, if you care about democracy, take your asses into gear and give us somebody worth voting for. But here's the other thing I will say to that, Ray, because I think you're absolutely right. It, it, I've been, yes, railing about like how weak Joe Biden is, especially now with his handling of Gaza and Israel. But on top of that, winning is not enough. Do you right. know what I'm saying? And so setting us up for the fact that, because ostensibly Republicans are saying, it's only good if I win. But actually, mm -hmm. Democrats are also saying that because they have no real plan for safeguarding our electoral process. They have no propaganda, if you will, like a PR push to tell you actually what happened in 2020. Tell us about those 50 cases that Trump brought and lost. Tell us about actually how the electors work, how state legislatures work, how voting works. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so that if Joe Biden does lose, that's all we've got. We're going to cry, you know, foul play as well without actually helping us understand and especially some of the lost souls to MAGA, helping them understand, no, you cannot subvert a democratic process. Trump couldn't in 2020. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like we cannot only rest on winning. There is far more at stake. It's much deeper than just winning, which I feel like folks have tunnel vision about. But anyway, I digress. We got to move on. There's more important news because guys, Congress has done a job. That's right. In fact, their only job, which is funding the government, making sure it doesn't shut down. So they did that. That's great. Yesterday, there was an agreement reached that averted a government shutdown. Just overall, we are looking at a $1.66 trillion budget. That is $886 billion for defense and $772.7 billion. Ooh. Almost as much for non-defense spending. So that's how our militarized America works. You're gonna kill someone, you're gonna not kill someone. I love it. Um, uh, within this, uh, the aid to Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and Taiwan have actually all been separated out. Democrats uh, seem to have compromised and Republicans are pissed about their compromise. We'll get into that. Uh, Democrats compromise. Um, they basically, uh, 
Uh, the top line is slightly above 1.59 trillion that was reached. Um, so it's 1.66 trillion um, that was reached in a part bipartisan deal last year and includes includes changes to discretionary spending that was part of a side agreement between President Biden and then House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. And it cuts $6.1 billion in COVID-19 spending and accelerates cuts to the IRS. Um, so remember, the IRS funding is to like uh, have money to spend the thing that Republicans keep on railing about that there's not enough money. Um, but uh, Democrats have capitulated and allowed them to accelerate cuts to the IRS ability to actually go after specifically people with money. Uh, to say nothing of COVID-19, Democrats say that the COVID-19 funding would not have any impact on programs or projects that are currently in motion. Um, and they said that, uh, same with the IRS cuts that they can make do with those cuts. But remember, every additional dollar that's invested in the IRS generates $6 in return, according to Treasury estimates, by enabling the agency to detect and collect bills already owed and specifically y'all from wealthy people. It is harder to audit people with a lot of means, a lot of accountants, a lot of ways to hide their money. And it's very easy to go after me, okay, because I didn't make a lot. So if I try to, you know what I'm saying? It's very easy to go after people like us. But this was the, we averted a shutdown, it seems. GOP is mad, but uh, Ray, thoughts thoughts on this? Yeah, um, it's good that the shutdown was avoided, but the cuts to the IRS are really insidious. And it's insidious the nature in which they are sold to average people. Because as you pointed out, it costs a lot less money for them to audit people like you or me. and. Believe you me, I've thought about not paying my taxes. <laughs> it's hard when you're a contract worker. You have to say all the money you pay towards your taxes, you just gotta put it aside and not touch it. And if you have an emergency, you still can't touch that money because you gotta pay it back come March or April or whenever it is. Um, but but it's sold to regular working class people as though it's good for them. When in the reality is they make more money, as the figures pointed out when they are better funded because they're able to go after those high earners who are actually avoiding paying meaningful amounts of money in taxes. Right. So instead, when tax, when the IRS is underfunded, it actually increases their likelihood to go after low income earners. And so it's really insidious to the way that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party to some extent has sold this as a good thing for the average person and try to stoke the fear of the IRS in you know low income earners. Yeah, and it's once again sort of chipping away at Joe Biden's like presidential platform. I mean, part right. of it was funding the IRS and they've sold, I mean, he sold his own platform down the river. I mean, I don't even build back better. They don't even say that anymore. So now again, they're gutting any changes, which was to fund the IRS more. Still, Republicans are mad, why? Because the government continues to exist, damn it. They were elected to shut it down, literally. Just get money and shut it all down. Um, but House Speaker Mike Johnson, of course, uh, New Year, let's remember he is the speaker. Um, a Louisiana Republican said the agreement will not satisfy everyone because it doesn't cut as much spending as many of us would like. But he touted it as the quote, most favorable budget agreement Republicans have achieved in over a decade. Some of his colleagues, 
disagreed. Um, Representative Matt Rosendale said, unfortunately, there are only microscopic concessions made by the DC cartel in this new spending deal compared to the hundreds of billions of dollars it is costing Americans from illegals crossing our border and the imminent national security threat it presents. Yes, that's where our money is being wasted, the border. Weren't you the guys who wanted to send more money to the border? Isn't that What's going on? Yeah, in fact, that's why they're pissed because all of the border funding was not attached to this new um, new sort of continuing agreement to fund the government. The House Freedom Caucus tweeted, it's even worse than we thought. Don't believe the spin. Once you break through typical Washington math, the true total programmatic spending level is 1.658 trillion, not the 1.59. This is a total failure. You don't care. Okay, then. Then pay more taxes, homie. Pay more taxes. Don't write off your your jets. All right. While they were arguing, uh, congressional leadership is trying to obscure the actual like spending numbers with side deals and accounting tricks. Uh, that's what they're saying. Um, Republican Congressman uh, Bob Good said Republicans agreeing to spend levels sixty nine billion dollars higher than last summer's debt deal with no significant policy wins is nothing but another loss for America. At some point, having the House majority has to stop stop funding this spending with an open border. Yeah, but they got it passed. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, they did it. They did what Kevin McCarthy couldn't do. Um, they did what clearly Jim Jordan or Steve Scalise or any of the other, you know, hoodless Klansmen couldn't do. He did it. Yeah, he's a psycho who like, you know, went to the border over the holidays and got mad at women trying to seek a better life for their families and escaping cartel violence. But yeah, um, Ray, before I kick it to you, I think if there's one graph that needs to open 2024, it is ProPublica right here showing you the deficit, the debt the Republicans keep on railing about and who increased it and by how much. So here you see Obama, you got the debt slowly going up, which it does, of course. Um, you have the stimulus budget in the left-hand side, candidate Trump over here before we he is elected. Then, huh, Trump signs the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, a little bit of a continued increase. Um, and then uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and boom, there is a massive increase in uh, the debt. But honestly, I would argue, I mean, who knows? I don't know how to read exactly. I don't know how to read graphs, guys. I don't know what lines mean, but here's the thing. It went up dramatically under Trump. And yes, it had to do with the amount of spending that we did under COVID-19, which BT dubs, remember who disproportionately got PPP loans. It was middle and upper class people. It was business owners who, it was millionaires and billionaires who don't have to pay it back. Meanwhile, you and I, student loan debt. <laughs> um, but also, again, it was that massive $1.9 trillion tax break. That was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that disproportionately and in fact only helped the wealthy. Ray, I'll give you the last word here. I'll just say it's funny to see these Republicans crying out, lashing out about this deal because they were really coming into this negotiation from a place of extreme weakness. The turmoil that the Republican caucus in the House has gone through in the past year is hysterical, but also has significantly weakened their ability to negotiate this budget. So they are crying about not getting a better deal. You know, I think the Democrats could have gotten a better deal because again, they're negotiating with this party that had so much turnover, you know, with the Speaker of the House and then Matt 
the Matt Gaetz's hold debacle and everything that they've had go on this year significantly weaken their strength. So for Joe yes. Biden to honor the agreements he made with Gavin McCarthy to some extent is laughable. You come back to the table and you know you throw down the gauntlet. You He's have not in power now. anymore. Exactly. Right. Who Just are you doing this for? Honor. No, you're you're one. That's such an important point. Um, but anyway, uh, yay! We live to fund the government another day. More money for more wars, of course. Um, we got to take our break, guys. If you're on linear, we'll see you another day. But if you're on YouTube, there is much more in the aftermath. So do not go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> 